This morning, I'm going to do something a little different than usual. It's going to be more like a classroom setting because I would like to do an exegesis on Mark 4. An exegesis on Mark 4 where we will go thoroughly through that portion where Jesus teaches on the parable of the soils. Now, <clears throat> many times we call it the, you know, the parable of the seed, but it's really the parable of the soil. So let's go ahead and read through it, and then we will pull it apart. Mark 4, verse 1, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open it with me and read together. Mark 4, verse 1 through 20. He began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was with the, uh, the whole crowd was by the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and was saying to them in his teaching, "Listen to this: Behold, the sower went out to do what? To sow. And he was sowing. Some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up." You'll see that the birds represent Satan. Verse 5, other seed fell on the rocky ground and did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked it. And it healed no crop. Other seed fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and one hundred fold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of of the kingdom of God. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. You are now receiving a mystery, a secret. But those who are outside of the kingdom of God get everything in parables alone. No mystery to them, no secret to them, only a nice story. It says, to you have been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside get everything only in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return or turn, another word is repent, and be forgiven. A very strange thing. Let me just pause there for a second. That last statement Jesus makes right there is in fact in all caps in my Bible because it is a prophecy made in Isaiah 6 verse 9 and 10. Hundreds of years before Jesus, this prophecy was made, and here Jesus is speaking this prophecy, and He's saying, here in your ear, in your hearing, this prophecy is now coming to pass. And let me read that prophecy to you again. Jesus says, so that, uh, this is why I talk in parables, He says, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might repent and be forgiven. Verse 13. 
And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Now he's speaking to the disciples. Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And here Jesus goes about explaining himself. He says, there are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes, the birds, remember, Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, when, who, when they heard the word, immediately received with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, when affliction, when hard times or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately these people fall away. Verse 18, and others are the ones whom, uh, whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones whom have heard the word, but the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and that word dies and becomes unfruitful. Verse 20, and those are the ones whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. First observation, every one of these soils sat under the word. They, every one of them sat under the word and heard the word. This is most often called the parable of the sower. But it is, re, but it is really the parable of the soils. You see, there is one sower and it's Jesus the disciples were asking him what's going on with some people loving you intensely and others hating you intensely. He said, let me explain to you why. The sower sows the word. Speaking of himself, the sower sows the word, the Lord Jesus. Then there is only one kind of seed in the story, which is the very word of God. That is the seed that he is sowing to the Israelites, he's sowing to the Gentiles, he's sowing to everybody. He, the sower, does. It is not money, it is the word. Then there are four different kinds of soil representing the four kinds of heart conditions among humans. There are only four kinds of human beings on the face of the earth. It's the wayside soil, the rocky soil people, the thorny soil kind of people, and then the good soil kind of people. You see, some soil is hardened and packed down because so much traffic has walked over it. Other soil is shallow and superficial. Nothing ever takes root in them. And then there are other soils uh, whose the thorny uh, soil, they are, they are thorn infested and the bad always chokes out the good in their life. They always give themselves to dark instead of light and to the world instead of to the kingdom of God. And then... There's the good soil, and that's you, amen? Say, I'm the good soil. <laughs> uh, you're sitting next to some good soil right there. You know, it's so interesting that Jesus actually came out with a parable of the soils because were we not made from dust? Uh, tell your neighbor, you're just a piece of dirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not really. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you see, the subject matter is very important. This is an exegetical study on, the, on chapter 4 of Mark. And in order to have an exegetical study, you have to look at the whole entire portion of Scriptures, and you have to establish 
the subject matter. What is the subject matter in the story? Because the whole entire story is about this issue and no other. The subject matter of this parable is not the sower sowing the seed, but it is the condition of the soil. It is not about the sower. It is not about the seed. It is about the soil. And there's four kinds. That's the subject matter. And that's what the whole entire parable is about. The purpose of this parable is to show how the type of soil determines the receptivity and the productivity of the seed. It is the soil, it is the heart of man that determines how productive the Word of God is going to be in that person's life. It is almost a, a natural response for people that when the Word of God is preached to them, that they immediately start to size up the messenger. I like that guy. I like it when, he, I like it when he's so funny. I like it when he's so, uh, you know, when he's so animated. I, li I like how he's so politically correct, or I like how he's so nice, or whatever the case is, right? So it is almost natural for all to respond when they first hear somebody teach the word to first listen to and size up the messenger. They immediately begin to analyze whether they like or dislike the messenger and or the message that is being taught. Like, I love that message. That was so encouraging. That was so motivating. Just like the second soil always says, you know, the second soil being the soil that, that had no root, they always rejoice and they're always, they're always excited about the word that they hear. But then hard times come, they have no root within themselves, and they fall away. And that seed remains unproductive. All right? And so the, the natural response for any human, myself included, is to first size up the messenger and to see and to analyze if I like the messenger and if I like the word that has been spoken. You see, the parable, this parable that Jesus was teaching us, helps us discover where we are to place our emphasis when hearing the word of God. The emphasis is not on the messenger. It is not on the seed. It is upon like, am I good soil? Do I receive the word of God? And is the word of God productive in my life? There are only four responses when the word of God is being taught. These responses are complete. There are no other categories of responses in the human heart when hearing the very word of God. The word of God forces man to respond to God. How many of you know a non-response is a response, right? Not responding is to respond. The timing of the giving of this parable is intentional. And I'll explain to you why. Because Jesus had been preaching the Word of God. There had been so many responses to Christ's teaching. And as I mentioned earlier, so many people were wholeheartedly receiving the teachings of Christ, and the disciples saw that. But they saw something else, that others violently rejected Christ's teaching. There were actually zero people that remained neutral. People either loved Him or they hated Him, right? And the disciples were wondering about this. Here's another thing the disciples were wondering about, and that was the fact that zero of the teachers of the law, zero of them love Jesus. 
Nicodemus was the only guy that was interested in hearing him out. But all of the Pharisees hated Jesus. And it was strange. You know why? Because surely they who knew the, the prophets could identify the Messiah. Come on, can't you see? He, he is the guy that Isaiah was talking about. He's the guy that John the Baptist was referring to. He's the guy that all the prophets refer to. As a matter of fact, more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament was filled by Jesus himself. And so here's a lot of the people were seeing this, but the disciples were wondering, how come did the teachers of the law, those who studied the law and understood the law, hated him? And they were basically perplexed that the pendulum would swing so far to the left in love and so far to the right in hate. And that people would respond in such extreme ways. But they were perplexed over the fact that so few people responded to him continuously in a positive way. We'll come to that. So because of the amount of negative responses, especially by the Jewish community, and they were waiting for a Jewish leader and a Jewish Messiah and a Jewish king. Jesus' disciples became perplexed. And they had, to, they had to be surprised. I would be too, and I'm sure so would you. One can only imagine the questions these Jewish disciples of Jesus had swirling in their minds. Are we following the right man? I mean, there's some really intelligent, well-educated people hating on this guy. Are we following the right guy? Do we have the right message? Since all of the Jewish religious, uh, religious leaders rejected this message, why such opposition, Jesus? Why such rejection? And here is where we find the very basic purpose as to why Jesus told this parable. This is why he told his disciples this parable. To help his followers troubleshoot the reasons so many are completely uninterested and even violently opposed to him being the Messiah. And in the same way as Jesus was helping them, today I believe Jesus is helping us to understand why people reject him. He's trying to help us, you and me, understand as to why fall in love with Jesus so deeply, serve Him so, so vigorously and passionately, while others couldn't care less. Haven't you wondered about that? <laughs> Two people raised in the same family. One loves Him and gives themselves, and the other one can't stand Him. We are also, we are also told as to why some people are so fickle. You know, a lot of people always talk about Christians are so fickle. Well, yeah, Jesus is going to explain to us as to why some Christians are so very fickle. <coughs> Jesus gives them this parable to underscore that the issue is not the messenger. The issue is not the message. You know, I told you the story before, but our first pastor that uh, we grew up on as I was raised in South Africa, and my mom was always a, you know, she's a real... Pentecost lady, and she would always, we would always be at church. I mean, I, I actually, my son last week for the first time says, hey, Dad, could I stay home? And the reason he wanted to is because Auntie Tony was staying at home with his grandfather. <laughs> so he said, hey, can we stay home? And to me, it was a shock. 
because we grew up never thinking that there was even an option to stay home. And our first pastor was caught stealing money. And um, eventually, you know, they restored him after a while, and they caught him steal money for the second time. And then um, he went ahead and shot himself after being caught the second time. And uh, my mom never skipped a beat. We served God after our pastor stole money and after he committed suicide. We had another pastor after that who had, whose home was extremely turbulent. And uh, his kids were in alcohol, drugs, and everything, and a lot of um, promiscuity. And we even, my mom, has always taken in people who struggle. And so she decided, she offered the pastors to take in one of their daughters so that we could help her. And uh, she was on drugs. And, and of course, when my sister and I, who were very young at the time, got to see the pastor's daughter overdose in front of us, my mom decided that's it. We had to, we had to ask her to leave. And this pastor's wife passes away early. And the doctor said the only possible answer to this is that she died from a broken heart. And uh, throughout all of that, I can't remember that we ever questioned God. Never did we question His Word. And then after that, we moved to uh, Johannesburg. I remember us sitting in the front row, and every time the pastor, zoned, the pastor looked towards our, our area, my hand started sweating, and I think, Mom, you could probably remember, and I said to my mom, why does this man... I'm freaking out every time he looks at me. Is it God or is it the devil? God or the devil? I don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so um, we were always sitting in a nice little row. My mom had us lined up like little ducklings. It was my sister, her boyfriend, or her boyfriend, my sister, and myself and my mom every Sunday. <laughs> uh, and then only to find out later on that this pastor um, uh, was, was actually involved with homosexual relationships and also had an eye for my sister's boyfriend, <laughs> you know. And so you would, think, you would think that at this, at some point, you know, we would question God. I can't remember us ever wondering about God. I can't remember us ever questioning the church. I can't remember us ever questioning the Word of God. As a matter of fact, um, right there and then, we heard about another church in Johannesburg there was about an hour's drive from us, uh, a, a real charismatic Pentecostal uh, word faith church. And we got so excited. I kid you not. I mean, we were, uh, I remember once, one Saturday walking up and down the street because we were real poor. We were, I was walking up and down the street, knocking on doors, evangelizing, waiting for somebody to give their life to the Lord. And then it happened. I asked the guy, and now that he's given his life to the Lord, I said, you know what the next step is? He said, no, what? I said, you need a good church. And he said, okay, well, where's a good church? I said, I know of one. He said, okay, give me the address. I gave him the address. He said, okay, I'll, he'll be there tomorrow. I said, okay, so uh, do you mind picking me up? <laughs> I don't have a ride. <laughs> and that's a true story. But folks, you know, as, as much as, uh, as difficult as it was to serve the Lord, I don't remember us ever not wanting to serve the Lord because of a messenger that failed. But today, people love using that as their reason as to why they won't serve the Lord, right? They love saying, well, we can't serve God because, you know, I don't trust the... Those are a bunch of hypocrites. No, the, you know, 
The hypocrite is the guy that says, well, I don't like that guy, so I'm not going to serve you. You know, uh, he, you know he, he's a fake, so, you know, forget you. You know, that's the hypocrite, right? But the people that aren't hypocrites are the ones who say like, hey, I need God. That's why I serve Him. I wouldn't serve God if I didn't need Him, right? You wouldn't serve God if you were perfect and righteous without Him. And so, the purpose of this parable is to show how these types of soil determines the receptivity. And Jesus then gives them this parable to underscore that the issue is not the messenger. It's not the messenger. It is not the message. It is not the mission. It is not the ministry. The determining factor in their ministry is the state of man's hearts. Jesus was attempting to explain to them, this is why we're getting the response and the results we are getting. I, the sower, I'm sowing everywhere. And we're getting very different passionate responses. You see, any failure is not the seed. But in the human heart to receive the seed of God's Word. I saw this yesterday, a little magazine. It's an online magazine. It's called New Scientist. The New Scientist magazine. And they, and they had this article about the Jesus-era seed is the oldest to germinate. And they have pictures of this, these ferns. They found these seeds that are more than 2,000 years old. And they decided to plant these seeds. And guess what? They germinated and they came up. But it's just interesting that seed is that way. It's a nature of seed, you know. And, but the Word of God is an incorruptible seed. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not corrupted. It's perfect. And the sower, Jesus, who sows the seed, He is the Word made flesh. There's nothing wrong with that, with Him, the sower. It is the soil. And this parable is to encourage the disciples that as the Word of God goes forth, there will be three out of four soils that will reject and refuse the seed of the Word of God. Jesus was teaching them by means of this story that there will be one quarter who will receive the message and the Word of God while three quarters will reject this message. So the focus of this parable is not upon the sower and it's not upon the seed. It is upon the condition of the soil. It is to encourage the evangelist. It is to encourage the teacher. If there is rejection, do not alter the message. If there is a rejection or refusal, do not alter the mission or the mandate. Rather pray that the Lord of the harvest would cultivate the soil. Now, as we look at this, you will see... In this parable, as it be, uh, the parable begins in verse 1 and goes through to verse 20 as we just read through. There are three key headings, three key categories in this portion. The first is found in verse 1, which is the setting. The setting. So we'll go over that. Secondly, we'll see from verse 2 through 12, we see that it is um, the parable is revealed, the revelation of the parable. And then verse 13 through 20 is the significance of this parable. The significance of this parable. Interesting thing is, the setting, we'll talk through that, and then Jesus tells the story, but He tells the story to the multitudes and the disciples were in front of Him. But the third part of this parable, Jesus waits for everybody to be gone. The multitudes 
We're gone. And then he says, okay, now let me reveal to you what this means. Why did Jesus not reveal what he meant to the masses? Why not? Have Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why did he wait for everybody to be gone? And then he sat the disciples and a few of his followers down, a handful, and he says, now, let me reveal to you, because you are in the kingdom, but those are outside. And to them, all they need is a story. But no revelation. So that the prophet that prophesied, they have eyes but cannot see, they have ears that cannot hear, that that prophet, he's right. He's right. And they will not hear and they will not see, otherwise they might repent. Have you ever asked yourself, what in the world is that all about? You see, the primary purpose in this parable is not for the unbeliever to be saved, but to help the body of Christ, especially the minister, to have a proper perspective when they see people responding very positively and very negatively. So let's look at the first category, and we're exegetically walking through this. So let's go to verse 1. All right, you ready? All right, verse 1 says of Mark 4, it says, He began to teach again by the sea. Teaching was at the very heart of Jesus' ministry. That was His ministry, teaching. He began to teach them again, the Bible says. Right here, that means that He was doing this habitually. You see, Christianity is a teaching religion. It is not a religion of empty routine and mindless rituals. All true Christianity is built upon the full disclosure of the truth of God. It's a teaching of the truth of God as it is disclosed and revealed to people. This is Christianity. And therefore, Christianity is built upon this solid rock, this this rock-solid expiratory teaching of the Word of God. Then it says in that verse, by the sea. He began to teach again by the sea. You see, this was the Sea of Galilee. And it was, it's important to understand why it's by the sea only because that's how they did it those days. Uh, they didn't have amplification. And so he gets into a boat. They push him off, off the shoreline so that he could speak across the waters his voice would echo as everybody was sitting on the seashore and up the hill so everybody could hear him so they created this little amphitheater by the sea the second part of our verse continues with this is mark 4 verse 1b and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he could not that that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land (coughs) excuse me this is, the, this is the height of Christ's popularity as a teacher throughout his two years of ministry. A very large crowd gathered to hear him, they say. You see, the first three chapters we read of large crowds coming to hear Christ. I'll show you. In Mark 1 verse 33, it says, The whole town gathered at the door. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Jesus is inside of this house, and the whole entire town gathers at the door. In Mark 2, verse 2, it says, They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. 
In Mark 3 verse 7, Jesus withdrew from His disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. Then in Mark 3 verse 8 it says, When they heard about all He was doing, many people came to Him from Judea, Jerusalem, and so forth. But this event that we are talking about here today at the Sea of Galilee now exceeds all of those previous large crowds that came. History tells us that tells us that this was his largest event. Mark 4 verse 1. It says, And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. So Jesus had to get into the boat, as I explained to you, and they had to push him right off the water, and they all sat on the land, and people gathered on the beach area up the hill so that they could see him and hear him. This created that amphitheater effect. This is a dramatic setting. Jesus taught no matter what the setting was and where he found himself. Jesus taught from a mountain in Matthew 5. He taught in a house in Mark 2. He taught in a synagogue in Mark 1 and in Mark 3. He taught in a desert in Matthew 8. He taught from a boat where boat here in Matthew 4. And he taught in the upper room in John 13. You see, Jesus taught anyone who was willing to and ready to open up and open up to the truth. You see, no setting was too big or too small for Jesus, whether it be the large crowds or the small groups. He taught his 12 disciples, and then he also taught different people individually. He taught publicans. He, put, he taught sinners. He taught the religious leaders of Israel. You see, he was the sower that sowed the word everywhere upon everyone. He taught men. He taught women. He taught Jews. He taught Gentiles. He taught the poor. He taught the rich. He taught the young. He taught the old. He taught the educated. He taught the, uh, the uneducated. He was the sower that sowed the word, and it fell everywhere on the wayside. It fell on the stony ground. It fell on the thorny soil, and there was some good soil. Only a quarter of where it fell was good. Jesus was consistently expounding on the Old Testament. He taught out of the law. He taught the Old Testament, giving it its rightful interpretation, showing himself to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the prophets. You see, his example to us is that his word should be taught anywhere and it should be taught everywhere to anybody and everybody, wherever you are and whomever is willing to listen. The word's supposed to go out. I don't care who you know, where you work, who you meet. You don't have to know them for a long time. God has given us the soil. We are His body. He is the sower. And the Word is still being sowed week after week, day after day, from person to person. Amen. Let's go to verse 2 and 3. It says in Mark 2, And He was teaching them many things in parables, and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. Now, the word parable is important because the word parable comes from a Greek word, paravole. All right. Thank you, Kristen. So I'm sitting in front of my computer last night. You know when you go to the definition, uh, the dictionary definition, you can actually click on the little sound button and they, they show you, they, they actually say the word over and over again. So I was trying to say this word over and over again. But this word parabole means something thrown alongside. Something thrown alongside. 
Para is a Greek word which means alongside of, which is where we get our word parallel from. It's alongside. Then the main root word here is bole, meaning to throw alongside. The idea here is throwing or placing two things side by side. The parable is a story placed a story placed next to the truth that is intended to be taught. So here is the truth, and then alongside Jesus comes and He throws the story so that the story can highlight, explain, and clarify the truth. It's a worldly or earthly story explaining a heavenly truth all at the same time. Why would Jesus teach in parables? Well, people are immediately drawn to and engaged by a story, aren't they? That's why we love watching TV series. Parables encourage people to think. They are thought-provoking and encourage people to go deeper into not just the shallow surface of a truth, but deeper into a truth. Parables, like all stories, are memorable. This is why He taught them. Parables make the truth plain. This is why Jesus used parables. Parables make it possible to intentionally conceal the truth from those on the outside while revealing truth to those on the inside. And this was Jesus' plan. Verse 4, Mark 4, 4 says, And as He was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Here is the first kind of soil, which is hardened soil. The soil is hardened by the people and the animals who have walked over it over a long period of time, and the soil does not receive the seed. It does not accept the Word of God. This, this is a hardened against the seed. It, it, it pushes up against the seed, and then the birds, which is a type of Satan, comes quickly and eats it up, and it's an easy meal for them. Then verse 5 and 6 says, Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and because it had no depth of soil, and after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. So imagine this for a moment. There's a little bit of soil, okay? But right underneath that very shallow piece of soil, there is a hard rock bed, and the seed falls on it, and just a little bit of soil causes it to move. But then the moment it hits the rock bed, the, it actually turns around. The root turns around and starts growing upwards instead of downwards. And the moment it grows upwards, it goes out of the soil. The sun comes, scorches it, and it dies. It doesn't do anything. It produces nothing. <clears throat> this is where the seed is. This is where the seed has no depth. It's shallow people with shallow hearts looking only maybe for something they can get out of this thing called Christianity. Verse 7 says, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it and yielded no crop. There is no room in this kind of soil, this third soil, the thorny soil. There is no room in this soil for two competing harvests. There's either just thorns or there's just seed, but there's not going to be both. This soil cannot handle the two competing harvests, and the good soil is always choked out by, or the good is always choked out by what is bad in that soil. Then verse 8 says, other seed fell into the, into the good soil, and they grew up and increased. They yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. It's not talking about money. So here, we have the good soil. It is not hardened like the first. 
It is not shallow like the second. There's, it's not in competition with the worldly things like the third. In other words, there are no other loves to compete with it. There are no other priorities greater than it. And the difference is not in the sower or in the seed, but in this soil. The soil is fertile. The soil is good. This person's heart is focused. Now, there are varying degrees of good soil. Some produce, of course, 30, others 60, and others 100 times the harvest. Now, this was the setting Jesus set, it, set out for the multitudes. Now, let's go to the second category, which is Him revealing the secret, all right? Mark 4, verse 10. As soon as He was alone, and this is, this is where I get stuck. As soon as He was alone, waiting for everybody to leave, his followers, along with the 12 disciples, began asking him about this parable. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables. So that, here's why they get it in story form only. They do not get the revelation. They only get it in story form. Here's why. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. You see, by this, we assume that Jesus was waiting for everybody who was part of those on the outside of the kingdom of God to first leave. Where it was only Him and His close followers, including His disciples. So there is a small inner circle. There is this remnant asking Him to reveal the secret of this parable. There is this, this, this group that exists asking Jesus, show me, reveal me. I am part of the remnant. Now before we keep going, I want to say this. Jesus actually mentioned the words. Here it goes. He says, blessed, blessed is he who is not offended by me. Blessed is the man who is not offended by my words. Jesus said to them, to the small group of people, to you has been given the mystery. You are the ones who receive the secret. You see, the word mystery here means something that could not be known otherwise apart from divine revelation. This means a person could have all the knowledge in the world but until God illuminates that man to see the mystery of the kingdom, that man will remain blind. That man will remain deaf to this secret. And here is why I can't, just, I can't emphasize how important this parable is. Here is why this parable is important. Because this parable reveals to you the human heart. Remember God says man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. Remember it says that? But here Jesus is teaching us a fragment, a portion of His perspective, how God views the heart. This parable allows man, you and I, to know this secret and to see what He what we could not see otherwise. With this parable, Jesus pulls back the veil 
and allows us to see a fraction of what he sees. This parable is the unveiling of human hearts. It's not about the messenger. It's not about the seed. It's about the soil. And the messenger is Jesus. The seed is the word of God. The soil is the heart of man. And Jesus is pulling open the curtains and he says, I want you to have a look at man's heart. Let's get to the third category, the final category. And here he explains the significance of this parable. Verse 13 and 14 says, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And now Jesus is here explaining. He says, Remember, this parable is not told to unbelievers, but to a small group of believers, the quarter, one-fourth. And he, he's speaking to them about the responses of evan that evangelists get. The context is that the sower, Jesus Christ, has gone into a country or into countries, into Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. The seed has been sown into the scribes. It's been sown into the Pharisees and the multitudes, into the Jews and into the Gentiles, into males and female. And it's been sown into the old and the young and the rich and the poor. And not everybody has been saved. The preaching ministry of Christ has been met with varied responses. Some rejected it, and they rejected it from the beginning. Others received it and then fell away. But there was a small group, this remnant, who stayed the course. Of the four, four soils, the first three represents those who are outside. He mentions this. You can read it for yourself. They are outside what? Outside the kingdom of God. The first three produce nothing and the seed dies. It gets eaten up by birds and it gets choked and it's burnt and scorched by the sun. And only the soil, the last one, produces fruit and lives. Verse 15 He talks about the hardened heart. Mark 4 verse 15, he says, These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. So here Jesus is now giving meat to the bones, an explanation to them of the very first kind of heart. All right? The wayside soil. The hardened soil. And let's look into that. It says here that the Word of God actually never enters their heart. In other words, there is no conviction. The Word does not convict them at all. There is no, ta no taking to heart the offer of salvation that Jesus brings. There is an insensitivity toward the Word of God. There's a callousness toward God and the things of God. There's a criticism towards God and the things of God. And oftentimes they'll just point to the messenger or they point to the message they don't like. And there's a criticism, there's a callousness, and therefore the Word of God has no effect right there. There is an indifference towards spiritual things. They come alive towards worldly things, but when it comes to spiritual things, it's kind of like Titan. Like, ah, really? Okay, let's do it. For the kid's sake, let's take him to children's church, you know. There's a, there's a callousness. There's no, no importance to them there. The word of the gospel is not embraced because it is taken away 
by the birds. Remember, Satan comes immediately and just takes the word from those people with callous hearts. These are the pharaohs whose hearts have been hardened. These are the pilots who cynically say, what is truth? Who, who gets to know truth? These are the pilots of today who say things like, well, that's your interpretation. Who gets to know what truth really is? These are the Felixes who, when they are ministered to say, go away and rather come back in a more convenient time when it suits me better. These are the Pharisees who trample underfoot the teaching of the Word. They are under the Word. Can you see this, folks? These people, all four of them, are under the Word. The fault lies not with the sower, Jesus. It's not with the seed, which is incorruptible. The fault lies with the person whose heart has been hardened as soil that has been trampled upon often. You see, the sun does, does a few things. The sun, the same sun, can melt the candle wax into something so soft you can mold it any way you want. But at the same time, it hardens the mud and it becomes so hard soil that not even seed can penetrate it. The same sun does both. Verse 16 and 17, Jesus now explains the shallow heart. This is an explanation of what Jesus said earlier in verse 6. So let's label it the shallow heart. This is, uh, this is a very shallow person with you know, a shallow spiritual understanding and has... Everything to them is shallow when it comes to the Word of God. Matthew 4.16, he talks about it. He says, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they heard the Word, immediately received it with joy. Oftentimes, you will see somebody get really excited about a word they receive, but that doesn't mean they're not shallow. Shallow people get excited about Scriptures. They get excited about a nice message. They get excited about a good service. They get excited about these things just like everybody else. Now, I'm not telling you not to get excited. I'm just saying shallow people also get excited about these things. They immediately receive it with joy. You see, there is no resistance in them. They receive the word. They love to hear about God's greatness. They love to hear about God's, how God can bless the family and God's plan for a family. They love to hear, for God has plans for your futures. And, and they love to hear about the grace of God and God's mercies on you every day. Just like everyone, even the good soil, they too love to hear about these things. But verse 17, Jesus explains something about this heart. He says, and they have no firm root within themselves, but are only temporary then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. These people cannot handle hard times. It rains, they melt. The sun comes out, they're gone. If there's anything, more, anything that's more exciting, they'd rather do that instead of God's, the things of the, the kingdom. They immediately fall away. You see, there was never a deep work in their hearts. There was never a deep conviction of sin. There was never a deep repentance from self 
and a repentance from sin, a turning from self and a turning from sin. There was no deep commitment to the Lordship of Christ. There was never a deep, complete surrender to God. This is why you hear people ask, hey, what happened to that guy? They fall away. These are the ones who loved following Jesus to see Him perform miracles, but wouldn't deny themselves and follow Him. They just followed Him for miracles. These are the ones who were part of the large crowd who got fed with the miracle of loaves and fish, but saw Jesus as a miracle worker and as a teacher, but never as a Lord. These are the ones who welcomed Jesus with palm leaves as He entered Jerusalem on Sunday, but by Black Friday, they were among the bloodthirsty people shouting for His crucifixion. These are the ones who start really on fire and excited, but walk away right after. These are the shallow ones, the rocky soil. Verse, verse 18 and 19, Jesus now teaches on the crowded heart. This heart is crowded with worldly preoccupation. This heart is crowded with worldly pursuits. This heart is crowded with worldly pleasures. There is not a primary purpose to them in the kingdom of God. The kingdom is not their primary purpose. Other things have become primary to them. They have, the world has their affections. There is too much going on inside of this person's heart. They are too distracted by the things of this world and by the cares that this world has to offer. Let's go to Mark 4 verse 18 and see Jesus teach on this. He reveals this heart to you and I. He says, and others are the ones on whom seed has, was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. In other words, these people are sitting under the word of God. These people love to hear the sermons and see the miracles. They love to be part of a vibrant church community. Verse 19, but the worries of this world. In other words, the distractions of this age. And the deceitfulness of what? Can we say the deceitfulness of? Let, let's try that again. The deceitfulness of? Riches. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Do you realize that oftentimes... You can look at a ministry and you can go through their entire annual calendar to see what's been taught on. And almost the entire calendar is our messages compiled offering them what Satan offered Jesus in the desert. The same thing. And so here people are distracted by the cares of this world and by the deceitfulness of more and more and more, and more, and you should be greater, and you should have more. And then it says, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. Oh, I thought it was the word that was preached. It says their desire for more chokes the word, and it becomes what? Unfruitful. Unfruitful. God's gospel remains unfruitful in their hearts. These are the half-hearted people. Uh, these people are half-hearted. Their hearts are crowded out by other stuff. The Word is crowded out, and we have all these other things inside of our hearts. These are the ones who have one foot in the Word and one foot in the world. These are like the wife of Lot. 
who are always looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, man, I'm going to miss that. I kind of yearn for that. I kind of love that. I have an affection towards the world. These are they. And these are the rich young rulers who want eternal life in the one hand, but who are not willing to give up living for the world and for worldly possessions in the other hand. These are those who put their shoulder to the plow, but then they always look back. This is the crowded heart, the double-minded. These are those whose hearts are so filled with the system of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful proud of life. There is no room for good seed to bring about a conversion. And this is Mark 4, verse 18 through 19. Then verse 20, Jesus now starts teaching on the receptive heart. The receptive heart, Mark 4.20. And those are the ones whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word of God and accept it. They obey it, they live it, they follow it, they continue accepting the word of God on a daily basis. This is in the continuous tense. This isn't a one-time issue. I received God in 1948. No, this is a continuous thing. They obey it continuously. They're living under it continuously. They follow it continuously. The Bible says, and it and bear fruit. So let's go from the beginning of verse 20. And those are the ones whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. And they bear fruit. They did what? They bear fruit. They bear fruit. Okay, so the good soil bears fruit, period. All right. The wayside soil, none. The stony ground, no fruit. The thorny ground, no fruit. Where does the fruit come in? The good soil. Always bears fruit. The good soil always bears fruit. This is also in the continuous tense for your English people or your English uh, language people that study it. Therefore, they continually bear fruit, these people. Even in their old age, uh, Psalm says, they will bear fruit. <clears throat> there is a noticeable growth in them. It is, an, it is obvious to everybody and anybody that this person has been touched by God. When persecution comes, they bear more fruit. They shine brighter. While the, the other soils, they fall away. No, not this one. No. They bear up underneath all of this persecution and hard times and difficulty. And they shine their light. And they bear fruit even throughout their life until their old age. This is the good soil. This is the quarter. This is the small gate. The narrow path. This is the few that Jesus is always talking about. These are the ones he waits for the large crowd to walk away. And he says, now let me reveal to you something, a secret that's for you and not for those on the outside. You know, I've never, I've never seen this in this parable that he talked about those on the outside. I've never seen that. And you know, as I listen to ministers, it seems like I was the only one that never saw that. It seems like they've always known this. <laughs> but I'm seeing it at the right time. And it says, not only do they hear the word and accept the word and bear fruit, but they bear fruit how much? 30, 60, and 100 fold. They bear a lot of fruit all the time, continuously. 
fruit-bearing, the mark of all true believers. It is not walking an aisle. It is not being baptized. The reality of a new creature is a brand new fruit-bearing nature. That's the reality. You see, it is not shallow. It has depth, the good soil. The good soil is not hardened, but it is sensitive toward God. It is soft. It is not stubborn and unbending and argumentative and critical, but it is broken up soil. It is not crowded out by distractions and love for other things in the world, but it is focused and is single-hearted toward God, lives toward, lives toward God alone. You see, this fourth soil is a receptive heart. It receives the Word of God and submits to it continually. This parable becomes the ultimate validation of your salvation. Because as you see, 30-fold fruit, 60-fold fruit, 100-fold fruit, you go like, this is truly a living tree. I'll finish off with Matthew 7, verse 17. Jesus says, so every good tree bears good fruit. Everyone. Can you tell your neighbor every single good tree bears good fruit? Say this again. Every good tree bears good fruit. <laughs> Period. <laughs> All right. Every good tree bears good fruit, period. Jesus said it. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. 18, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them. How? By the fruits. Jesus never withheld revelation from the remnant. He never has, never will. But I want to encourage you with this, that God has called you to that. He did not call you to being stubborn. He did not call me toward being critical, which I can be very often. He did not call us to being shallow. He did not call us to being hardened at our hearts. He did not call us to be distracted. He did not call us to be entangled with the things of this world. And you know what? So wonderful. He says, the cares of this world. Do you realize he doesn't want you to carry the cares of this world? He wants you to be free from the cares of this world. This is what he's called us away from. So he's called us away from hardened hearts. He's called us, uh, you know, he's called us away from distractions. He's called us away from the love of the world. He's called us to be separated unto him. That's what holiness means, to be separated unto Him. Separated from what? Separated from the cares of this world, from the lust of this eye, from, from the eyes, and for running after and making riches your God, just like the rich young ruler. He's called us away from the first three soils, and He's called us to be that fourth soil. He's called us to be that fertile soil. He's called it, and, and who are the fertile soil? The one that actually hears the word and accepts it and submits to it continually and then bears fruit because of it. That's the good soil. Say, so that's me. I'm the good soil. <laughs> you know what? And the good soil is on the inside. 
the wayside soil, the stony ground, and the thorny ground are not compromising Christians, folks. It, nowhere in that parable can you find Jesus alluding to the fact that those who rejected the word or could not receive the word or received it but then fell away. Nowhere in that parable is, does, it, does he allude to the idea that they are on the inside. No, he makes very clear in the beginning saying they are on the outside of God's kingdom. Now, blessed are you who are not offended by the words of Jesus. Blessed are you. And I want to close by encouraging you this way. You know, there's a certain nobility within certain ministries, and that is what Paul was talking about when he said, now they are more noble than the others. I always get the Bereans and Thessalonians mixed up. The Bereans were more noble, okay. <laughs> you got it. Okay, so the Bereans were more noble. There's a certain nobility within certain ministries, and that is when we are all willing to go to a scripture and say, but did you see that? And I, as a minister and pastor of this church, am very open, very open for anybody to say, Jacques, I didn't like what, what I just heard. And I will, go, I will add to, to what you just said, and I'll say, nor did I. I don't like everything. I, those are, some of those things are hard, just really hard. But if there is anybody here today that can say, Jacques, okay, not only did I not like what I heard, it was hard, but I think you are wrong in what you said or how you read that. There's a certain nobility in certain ministries that says, now, like the Bereans, you study and then you see if what was said is in fact true. Because if it's not, I for one should be and I hope I am as humble as anybody here or more humble than everybody in this that when I see that I have misunderstood a verse, I want to repent from that or turn from that thinking and I want to start thinking the right way about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't, wanna, I don't want you to believe a lie and I don't want you to, make me, to allow me to believe a lie. You see? There's a certain nobility. Paul said, for the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they studied the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was in fact true. And you study the scriptures and should study the scriptures. And I'm encouraging you to study the scriptures this portion this week to let me know if what I saw in it was in fact not true. And not just by saying, well, that's how you see it. <laughs> no, well, what does it say is the point. You know what I mean? What is it saying? What does he mean by saying and those on the outside? Why did he wait for them all to leave? And where is there proof that the first three kinds of soil actually are saved? Where is the proof thereof? The only proof of salvation we can see is the fruit bearing, the fruit bearing. Now, all fruit bearing trees don't bear fruit when it starts. It grows up and then bears fruit. And all fruit isn't always ready to be eaten, yet it's always perfect. Like for instance, an apple when, it's, when it comes out on the tree, it's that small, tiny, little, hard little rock, right? And it's green. 
it cannot be eaten. It actually makes you sick when you eat it. But it's perfect. And then weeks later, it's this size, and it's still very hard and green and still cannot be eaten. Nothing wrong with it. It's perfect, but it's not ready. And then eventually, that apple is ready and can be enjoyed and is a fruit to, to enjoy, right? So every tree has to grow up, and then when it starts bearing fruit, the fruit takes time to be ready. But it's always that same process. It's never the opposite. You follow what I'm saying? And all Christians are fruit-bearing trees. Why? Because He is the vine and we are the branches, and branches are the fruit-bearing part of the tree. We are the fruit-bearing part of the tree. Amen. Amen.